Happy New Year from wherever you are tuned in from. It's hard to believe we are in 2023, but hey, here we are. This month, we have sermons for you that will give you a guiding hope for the year. My name is Philip Moura, and here is today's message. Um, one of my dreams of going to, when I was going to high school, one, I had many dreams, and one of them was to become a pilot. You know, but... Um, Due to many things, due to limitations, especially intelligence-wise, you know, I <laughs> never, that, I didn't make it. You know, but still I have developed some interest with things to do with aviation. And even I have befriended some of you guys who are part of our congregation here, who are in aviation, you know, and you become my friends, you know, and I've learned a lot of things. You know, what you have paid school fees, you know, just share with me openly. And so I've become quite vast with what happens in aviation. And learn, talking about aviation, there are three types of winds that pilots, you know, are trained on what to do when they encounter them. These are one, tailwinds. These are winds that blow from behind the aircraft. And they can be manipulated and they can be useful. Also, there, is the, there are the headwinds. These are the winds that, you know, counter the plane. And a pilot can be able also to manipulate those winds and be able to gain lift quite quickly. But also, that, there is one dangerous wind that pilots, you know, don't like. These are called the crosswinds. These are winds that hit the plane from an, from an angle. You know, the plane is flying this direction, and then these crosswinds, they come from a 90-degree angle. And a friend in aviation told me that, you know, crosswinds are dangerous because they can come unexpectedly, that, and they tend to push you from the main, you know, landing, from the course, from the main course, and so you can be able to find yourself off the track of the course, and that can be very, very dangerous. And they hit the plane's, you know, fuselage, you know, for us who went to Alliance High School, we call it the fuselage. But for some of you, it's called the belly. You know, you call it the belly right here, okay? It depends where you went to. And cases actually have been recorded where when a crosswind has hit the plane's belly or the fuselage, it has affected the structure of the plane, so to speak. And another friend told me yesterday that crosswinds don't behave. They don't behave well because... Uh, they, can't, they don't come alone. They come with a storm, they come with waters, they come, it's windy, they come actually with fog and many other things, making a, the landing of the plane a bit, you know, a, bit, a bit risky and even in some cases impossible, especially when the payload is quite heavy. And many planes land side by side and can easily skid off from the main track. It is small wonder that Feb last year, a Kenya Airways pilot, a lady called Captain Ruth Karauri, became an internet sensation, drawing excitement, excitement and also admiration from you know, aviation wannabes like myself you know, after a video of her Kenya Airways plane landed successfully at Heathrow Airport during a storm, the storm called Eunice. And I kept wondering, why are these storms made, named after the ladies, Katrina? <laughs> Rita, you know, Eunice, Joyce, you know, and many others. I hope my wife, Joanne, she would not have a storm named after her. <laughs> you know, and the plane was recorded, and you can watch this video online, 
uh, you know, as wobbling in the sky, you know, tossing up and about as the storm raged. And just like in aviation, also many times in the Christian journey of faith, we tend also to meet crosswinds. And this New Year series, I have attempted to equip you with spiritual tools to help you withstand the challenges that life can be able to bring. We started very well with our friend, Demas, you may remember him. You know, someone who had worked faithfully, but at the end, he deserted the faith. He met some headwinds, maybe of pain or prosperity or even persecution, and he forgot remaining on the main course. And we saw how Paul laments and feels bad that this faithful worker has deserted him, has deserted Jesus Christ. And also last week, we were looking at the story of Joshua, who challenged his fellow countrymen to look back and remember God's faithfulness. And when they look back, they will be able to serve God diligently. And he tells them, you know, choose whom you are going to serve today. But as for me and my house, I am going to serve the Lord. And out of one month's dedication, the nation of Israel was blessed immensely. And we encouraged you and we encourage each other last week to serve God this year because our faithfulness in serving can bear much fruit. And one of the things that you should write, perhaps one of the things that you should desire throughout the year is to ask God, how can I serve you? Whether in church, at home, even or at the workplace. And I say this because we know that pastors, we are called into the ministry, into the vineyard of Christ. But also God has equipped you, brothers and sisters, with special gifts and talents that when we collaborate together, us who are called, and you who God has blessed you and gifted you with these talents, that we can be able to have a very strong community. I'm trying to imagine, you know, last year, you know, um, as a pastor here, I, not many people came to me that I pray that they give their life to Christ. Not many. You know, not, I can't remember, but they're not, they're not many. And I'm saved and redeemed, and I have the hope of eternal life. But you guys didn't come. But especially like in our Sunday school ministry, there are teachers there who have led many children. I think last year, probably about 40 children gave their lives to Christ out of the faithfulness of just a few, you know, who are faithful to serve these children and to say that we want to teach them the ways of the Lord. And God multiplied their faithfulness. And now there's a generation that will come years later and they will know that we were taught about Christ and we gave our life to Christ at that church called Mamlaka Hill Chapel. What about those who serve in our small groups, in our regroups, those who open their house and they prepare a few refreshments there and wait for people to come so that they may be able to be encouraged in faith together? How about those who stand here and, you know, and they offer their voices freely to us so that we may worship and celebrate what God has done in our lives. What about those who make the music to, to sound nice? You know, they play those instruments and we enjoy the music and we enjoy their gifts in that way. And we know that even when life has suppressed us, that when we go and we enjoy that worship moment, out of their gifts, whether it's the skills they have or the voices, or even these ones who record for us, that indeed we are going to have a wonderful time, a wonderful moment in the presence of the Lord. How about those who serve in, say, ushering, those who serve in the youth, all those who serve in the men, in the youth, and many other ministries. 
when you allow God to utilize and to use your gifts and us as your pastors giving you the direction that, we may, you, that you may need, I believe that we grow up to be a strong church and we grow up to withstand the crosswinds that may come and we bear much fruit to the glory of God. So crosswinds in a Christian journey are, as we have said, they are dangerous. They are unexpected events that no one fully prepares for them. They toss us up and about, making us seem to lose control of life, getting us off course sometimes, and they render us even to be suspicious of God. Does God really care? Did God really see what has happened to me? Did he allow that to happen to me? Is God unfair? And such was the case perhaps with a, one, with a man in the Bible that I want us to peep into his life today. And so I'm going to request us to turn our Bibles to the book of Genesis chapter 46. Uh, Genesis chapter 46. And we are going to learn from the story of Jacob. Actually, we are going to put a finger at Genesis chapter 46, 47, and 48. Don't worry, we'll finish well before 5 p.m. We will be here. 5 p.m. We should be leaving the place. Anyway, Jacob was a man that God had promised incredible blessings. God had told him that out of you will come a nation. Out of you there will come many people, a mighty army for the Lord. And while he was expecting that one day he will be able to enjoy and to see these blessings of God, you know, some crosswinds hit his life. One, he lost his lovely wife, a girl that he had loved called Rachel. And Rachel, the Bible says, that was beautiful in form and in shape. And when the Bible says that she was beautiful, indeed she was. And Jacob loved her. And he had worked for seven years to get her, and then she, he was duped, and he was given not the girl that he wanted. But then he said, I'm willing again to work seven extra years so that I may get this girl. And later, this wife dies, giving him two sons, Joseph and Benjamin. While he was at it, his sons you know, sold Joseph. And he had loved Joseph so much. And the other sons, the big brothers, you know, they took Joseph and sold him to Egypt. And so he was discouraged 20 years. The other siblings, Akina Ruben and Simeon and all those, those others, you know, at one time they actually had done many bad things. And Jacob laments at one point, he says, you have made my name stink. And when a parent says that you have made my name stink, it's true. And so, Jacob was discouraged. Grief, suspended grief, not knowing where his son Perhaps his body is, what happened to him. He's discouraged when he looks back and he sees that, you know, he has, you know, that, that his sons, the other sons, the things that they are doing, they are killing other people. They are doing bad things. And so as a parent, he's wondering, God, you promised me that out of me will come a great nation. At one point in the book of Genesis chapter 42, verse 36, when he received the news that his son is normal, he says these words that all things are against me. 
Nothing seems to work for me in Genesis chapter 42, verse 36. should be on your screen. But in a twist of events, his brothers, that is Joseph's brothers, had gone to Egypt desperate for food. And they met Joseph there, and Joseph had revealed himself to his brothers. And now Joseph in this place had become an exalted uh, political leader. He's the one who was making critical and strategic decisions in Egypt. So when he introduces himself to his brothers, he tells them, now go back to Canaan and bring back my father. Bring my father here in Egypt. And also all of you come to Egypt so that I may take care of you and may provide for you. And so the sons, they come back and they tell the dad. And if you may at chapter 46, the last verse of chapter 45, when Jacob is told what Joseph has said, verse 28 says, and Israel said, that is in 45, the last verse, and Israel said, I am convinced my son Joseph is still alive. I will go and see him before I die. And in that statement, you can sense the sadness. It's over now. I'm going to see him and my life will be over. And so, amidst all this grief, there is a glimpse of hope. At least maybe I'll be able to see him and then after that, my life is done. So if you may, let's go to chapter 46, there verse 1. And this chapter starts by calling Jacob to go to a very unfamiliar place. And what we are going to see, we are going to have like three scenes in our story today. We are going to see his descent, that he's going down to Egypt. And then we are going to, scene two, we are going to look at the descendants. And then scene three, we are going to look at the delight that he experienced while he was in Egypt. So in verse one says, 46, so Israel set out with all that was his. And when he reached Beersheba, he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in a vision at night and said, Jacob, Jacob, here I am, he replied. I am God, the God of your father, he said. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for I will make you into a great nation there. Let's stop there for a moment. Jacob's life, entire life had been spent in Canaan. In Canaan, this was the promised land. And right here, God had promised Abraham and Isaac that out of you will come a great nation. So this is a good place that Jacob still anticipates that maybe God might do something. And so he's there as an old man, you know, anticipating and expecting the blessings of God in Canaan. But now God comes and reveals himself in a dream and tells him, by the way, pack your things and go. Pack your things and go. And so this is a, such a huge transition and a significant shift, a call to the unknown. And sometimes this is the same for us. We have spent all our lifetime at a certain place, or even we have spent all our resources and our savings to do certain projects, or even a relationship. And then at one time, you know, it crumbles and you feel so desperate, and you do not know what to do. This transition for Jacob will take him away from what he has built his entire lifetime. What he knows, and what he has done, 
the things that he had seen. And this was a promised land. Actually, later, you may remember later, when they were on transit, the children of Israel, in the book of Numbers, and God says, you know, send some people. And Moses sent some spies. They came back with the bounty harvest of Canaan. And they come and say, actually, it's true. The land that God is calling us to is a land of milk and honey. See the planters that we have come with, the grapes that actually two people had to hold a cluster of grapes. So this was a beautiful place. But now the beautiful place, the promised land, has famine and their very existence is threatened. And so, Jacob is here being told, you know, you have to move from this place. It's actually like moving from an upmarket area to another place which is a bit dry and maybe doesn't have a lot of hope. It's like moving from those nice estates to our place where we live in Wangige. You know, and, and God is telling you, move from this side and go to Wangige. Is there anything good in Wangige? Come and join me there. And so Jacob, he reaches Beersheba and offers a sacrifice there. He worships right there as he senses his need for God, perhaps more than ever before. And Beersheba was significant because this is where God had spoken to Abraham when you read Genesis 21. And even Genesis 26, again, God had spoken to Isaac, confirming his promise that indeed he will be able to make his, their descendants as many as possible. So when God throws you a crosswind like he did to Jacob, friends, the most appropriate thing to do is to run to God in worship. It is to run to God and seek the face of God. Only when we are in worship Many times God reveals his purposes for us as we can see from the story of Jacob. Pursuing God in moments of unexpected events is entering, entering into a place of serenity and security, peace and, you know, peace and total trust in God. That God reveals himself and affirms his love and his purposes to you, not in the chaos of the world, not in moments when you're so busy. It is a moment that you say, Lord, I want to pursue you and to seek your face. And even for us as a church, I pray that we'll be able to do that. We have been praying for our ministries. We have invited you. Please join us as your pastors to pray for the different ministries so that we may know what, is, what does God want for us throughout the year. And even tomorrow from tomorrow, you know, you join us as we pray, as we seek the face of the Lord. As we pray for our ministries, for our church, as we pray for you as our, our congregants, as you pray for us also as your pastors, that we be able to seek the will of God together. This is because we do not lead God. God is the one who leads us. And so we must pursue him and seek him in that way. The lessons here, again, is that we need to run to God when we meet crosswinds of life in prayer and in worship. And as Jacob found strength and comfort, you too, brother and sister, in moments when you are hit by those crosswinds that come from, when, from wherever you are, don't even anticipate them, and they could be crosswinds of grief, of pain, of a job loss, or things that you, you know, that you don't like, they are not palatable to you, that you can be able to seek the comfort of God. And you find it as Jacob find it too. When nothing is clear, run to God 
in no haste, and he will hear, and he will listen, and he will offer his direction. In verse 2, God appears to him in a vision. The book of James says that if we draw closer to him, he will draw closer to us, and we must encourage ourselves to break from the cycle of business or the cycle of just moving on swiftly. The new year has begun. The new month has begun. The new day has begun. And we run because of the outlandish demands of school, work, deals, dreams. And we we take a break from listening to God. We need to pause and listen. What is it that God wants for us? Because as the psalmist reminds us in Psalm 46 verse 10, be still and know that I am God. So this week again, allow me to ask you again that we join together as a church and draw near to him and he will draw near to us indeed. So in this vision, in this dream, God assures Jacob of his presence with him. And this is remarkable because it has been 20 years since Jacob had anything from God. Actually, the last time God just said, you know, I will multiply you, be fruitful and increase in number as Genesis starts. And here, perhaps Jacob was upbeat, but immediately after that, he loses his wife. He can't locate his son and his children, his sons are wayward. You know, his daughter is even harassed. And so things seems, God seems to have forgotten his promise. But God comes and affirms his presence with Jacob, especially in these ways. Number one, he says, do not be afraid. This is because transitions aren't easy. And he is comforted. And he knows because God knows his fears. He is comforted. So Jacob, as much as we are told that Jacob feared, from God's perspective, God was able to evaluate the situation and he knew that Jacob was struggling with fear. That way, that's why he says, uh, do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. Jacob was afraid of this transition. The second thing that God does is, I will make you into a great nation there. Yes, the promise may have been delayed, but my purpose is I haven't forgotten. I'm still on course. Because crosswinds don't hit God. They can hit us. But there's nothing that can thwart or change the plan of God for his people. So I promise, this promise had been made to Abraham, then to Isaac, and then to Jacob. But perhaps even you as a reader, you may wonder, God made a promise to Abraham that I'm going to make you into a great nation. And then God gives him one son. Right, Isaac. God says, I'm going to make you a great nation. Then only gives him two sons. So how is the progression? God, you are slowing down. If you are going to make us into a great nation, you need to fast track. You You need to make us, you know, multiply us. And then to Jacob, he had 12 children. And in these 12 children, one is dead. The, other who, the others who remain are wayward. Is this how I'm going to leave my legacy with these children, with these sons? And if that is not enough, there is famine in the promised land. Where God had said, I'm going to make you into a great nation, there is famine there. And so this, again, is a threat to their very existence. So you can tell that the general progression, the growth rate, is so, so slow. And if that were not enough, then God says, you know what, Jacob? Take a trip down to Egypt. Because it is not what you are imagining. Down in that place, 
I will accomplish my purposes. My will will be fulfilled in an alien land. And so if you ever find yourself in a moment of uncertainty, may you know that God never changes and God always fulfills his purposes. He may not work with your time. He has the time. He may not work with your time. But God always fulfills his promises. Number three, the thing that we see there is in verse four. It says, I will go down to Egypt with you. And friends, this is a very comforting verse there to learn that God is always with you whether you are in Canaan or whether you are in Egypt. And the same God who was with Jacob is still your father today. And in moments of great celebrations and in moments of great pain and anguish, God is still there. And God says, I will go down there with you. Don't you like it that God doesn't send representatives? You know, many times in organizations, you know, you send your people to represent the organization. But in God's perspective, he shows up himself. During moments of great celebration, like the wedding in Cana, God showed up. He was there. Christ was there. But even in moments of great pain, when he visited Mary and Martha, when they had lost their brother, and even Jesus was moved and he, he cried as well, he wept, God, God was still there with them. May you remember, no matter the place that you are in in life, that God is still with you. Number four, what we see there, God says, I will surely bring you back. And this one was pretty hard verse for me to understand and to crack because we know that Jacob doesn't come back to Canaan alive. Actually, he dies in Egypt. So what was God trying to say in this verse that I will surely bring you back? And Joseph, you know, own hands, he's the one to close your eyes. And I was debating with this and trying to see, did the writer here, was what they confused or what was it? Because it should start the other way around. Joseph, Hans, will close your eyes and then you'll be brought back. But to me, I understood, it, I understood it to say that indeed here, what we see here is a glimpse of what happens to the believers when they transition out of this world. That being absent in body is being present with Christ. That that transition happens. That there is no moment that God leaves you, whether in death or even in life, that God is still with you. Absent from the body is being present with Christ. To be away from the body is to be at home with Christ. And then he says there, and Joseph's own hands will close your eyes. And God here, I think, is dealing directly with the fears that these crosswinds of life have brought to Jacob's life. The fears of life, God says, I will be with you. The fears of parenting, Joseph's own hands will close your eyes. The fears of death, God says, I will bring you back. And Jacob, God is saying, I will walk with you to Egypt. In that unfamiliar land where you are afraid to go, I will walk with you. And if you feel like you are descending in life instead of upgrading, please know, Jacob, that I am with you. In parenting, that son that you have grieved for 20 years, Jacob, I will unite you with him and you will see him again. And in death, I will raise you up to be with me because beautiful is the death of his saints. And so friends, may you know that in every stage of life, God is saying that I will be with you. God doesn't send representatives as we have said. And this assurance that you need that God 
got hold of you, brothers and sisters, and he'll never leave you nor forsake you. When you go to the second scene, Jacob left with everything he owned, people, property, possessions. He gathers his children, his grandchildren. And that one we see from verse 7, and we may not read all of it in chapter 46. Please uh, just run with me to verse 26 of the same chapter. From verse 8, those are just the names of his people, the, his descendants. And verse 26 says, All those who went to Egypt with Jacob, those who were his direct descendants, not counting his sons' wives, numbered 66 persons, with two sons who had been born to Joseph in Egypt. The members of Jacob's family, which went to Egypt, was 70 in all. And here the writer is alerting us to something. He's trying to say that, you know, you think that God has forgotten his promise? Only 70 of you will leave Canaan and go to Egypt. And do you know when Moses went to deliver these children of Israel from Egypt, this is what the Bible says you may not need to read. Let me just read it for you. You can check it out later in the book of Numbers chapter 1 there. Where it says these words, All the Israelites, 20 years old or more, who were able to serve in Israel army were counted according to their families. The total number was 603, 550. Over 600 men. Now when you add those who are below 20 years and you add the women who are not counted, you have about a rough estimate of about 2 million people. In three generations, there were only 70 people. But after that, by the fourth generation, they were over 2 million people. And these were many people, two million people indeed. And in verse 30, there, if you may read with me, or actually we can start from verse 28. Now Jacob sent Judah ahead of him, so he's on this journey. And he sent Joseph to get directions to Goshen. They, when they arrived in the region of Goshen, verse 29, Joseph and his chariot made ready and went to Goshen to meet his father Israel. As soon as Joseph appeared before him, he threw his arms around his father and wept for a long time. This is such a great reunion. And as Joseph was weeping and crying, you know, experiencing that lovely embrace from his father, the first comment that comes from Jacob's mouth is quite depressing. Verse 30 says, Israel, who is also Jacob, said to Joseph, now I am ready to die since I have seen for myself that you are still alive. These are not the words that you expect. You know, you can't be dead on arrival. You know, please hold on and wait. Joseph doesn't answer his dad. But you can sense this anticlimax. Because Jacob had met so many crosswinds. And now because God has given him a glimpse of hope. He says, I just want to die with this moment of excitement. I do not want to live and enjoy. And so, friends, this is the same event for us sometimes. That many times we do not know how to embrace the blessings of God. We are unable to celebrate and to enjoy his blessings. And this can come from past failures, which can have or make us to be afraid and be unable to embrace the promises of God. So friends, if your past is fogged with grief, with sorrow, 
regrets. Please know that God has the ability to make that a backdoor for joy. Celebrate the things, the victories that God will bring your side. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. The cross of Jesus Christ is a marked place where we can bring all those fears, all those failures. And when we leave them there, we live there, you know, celebrating and rejoicing at the freedom that Christ has given us. But even in most painful experiences, know that God can use those painful moments in our lives to thrust us to fruitful ministry where we can encourage each other, where we can, you know, when we can comfort other people and encourage them to persevere through this journey of faith, brothers and sisters. After the second scene, um, we can shift to the third scene, the delight of God's blessings. So in verse 31, it says there, of 46, Then Joseph said to his brothers and to his father's household, I will go up and speak to Pharaoh, and will say to him, My brothers and my father's household, who are living in the land of Canaan, have come to me. The men are shepherds, they tend livestock, and they have brought along their flocks and herds and everything they own. When Pharaoh calls you in and asks, what is your occupation? You should answer, your servants have tended flock or livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then you will be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. So Joseph doesn't tell them to lie. What do you do? You know, I just, I'm just running some errands. That's the language that I'm, sometimes you use. Mawan two, one, two. You know. <laughs> or even in Greek, Nikugeria Mani, right? Joseph tells them, Sema nyinyi ni watu wa kuchunga. You are shepherds. And because of that, God is going to use that force, that weakness. Egyptians think that you guys smell with your, with your perfumes, with your beauty. Shepherds who are smelling, you know, all that they will say that you go and live in the best and the lush places of Egypt, the side of Goshen. So, chapter 47, Joseph went and told Pharaoh, my father and brothers with their flocks and herds and everything they own have come from the land of Canaan and are, are now in Goshen. He chose five of his brothers and presented them before Pharaoh. Verse 3 says, Pharaoh asked the brothers, what is your occupation? Your servants are shepherds. They replied to Pharaoh, just as our fathers were. They also said to him, we have come to live here a while because the famine is severe in Canaan and your servants' flocks have no pasture. So now please let your servants settle in Goshen. And so they repeat the same. And in verse 5 it says, Pharaoh said to Joseph, your father and your brothers have come to you and the land of Egypt is before you. Settle your father and your brothers in the best part of the land, let them live in Goshen. And if you know of any among them with special ability, put them in charge of my own livestock. So there's even the promise of a great promotion. Now they are going to be in the service of the leader of Egypt. Verse 7, Then Joseph brought his father Jacob in and presented him before Pharaoh. After Jacob blessed Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him, How old are you? And Jacob said to Pharaoh, the years of my pilgrimage are 130. My years have been few and difficult, and they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed 
Pharaoh and went out of his presence. And that struck me there. That Jacob comes, first he blesses Pharaoh. And this must have confused the Egyptians first because Pharaoh to Egyptians is a god. He's a sun god. So he's, a, he's treated as a god. But then the foreign gods which have mouth but cannot speak, have shape but no form, have ears that cannot hear. The book of Isaiah says that they are plastered, their eyes are plastered. They cannot be able to see. If you are a believer and if you are a child of God, please know that you have so much to offer in a world that is hopeless. That God has equipped you so much. And you are not as poor as you think. You have so much. If you guys will sit in this church for the next, now how many weeks remain? I think about 48 or thereabout. And the messages that you are going to receive here, please know that you are so, so blessed that you should count yourself having something to offer to the world. And so to Pharaoh, he's blessed by a man who is so weak. A man who says, actually, my ears have been few. Especially if you read it in ESV. The days of my ears are so few. And you can sense the regret there, the failure there. The years of my pilgrimage are 130. My ears have been few and difficult. And they do not equal the years of the pilgrimage of my fathers. Then Jacob blessed Pharaoh and went out from his presence. Friends, what I want us to see here, the delight and what God can do. Jacob was coming to die in Egypt. But actually God gives him so many years. In verse 28 of chapter 47, Jacob lived in Egypt 17 years. And the years of his life were 147. He didn't die. Because God was not yet done with him. And when you jump to chapter 48, when he was now just about to die, we see a totally different man. When he was asked to bless the children of Joseph, this is what he said, please read it with me. Jump to chapter 48. You should be glad that we are coming to an end. In verse 15 there, says there, Jacob, then he blessed Joseph and said, May the God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who has been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, may he bless these boys. May they be called by my name. The one who wanted his name to be forgotten is now the one who is saying, let my name remain. Let my name be inscribed in the lives of these boys. And we see someone who is revived spiritually. He came to Joseph full of regret, but now is full of faith and full of hope. He is happy now during his last years. And his last 17 years were the most fruitful. He witnessed God doing so much that he had a totally different view about life. That is remarkable spiritual growth. The hand of God had been with him even in the darkest patches of his life. Even when he wasn't faithful to God, God was still faithful to him. God was still working. God had redeemed him and he says, the God who has been my shepherd all my life, even when he was feeling so low, even when these close winds of life hit him under the belly, God was still with him. He says there, the angel who has delivered me from all harm, that one I have lived for. May he bless 
these boys and may they be called with my name. His life ends with him desiring his name to be established through Manasseh and Ephraim. Brothers and sisters, as we embark throughout this year, or as the journey starts, and when we meet the unexpected, let us be reminded, one, that just like Jacob, God doesn't change. His promises never change. He does not lie. He will not leave you nor forsake you. May you remember that God keeps his promises. May you remember that if you pursue him and if you live in his will, then there are blessings that come and your life will never be wasted. May you remember these words and may they encourage you and may you become fruitful even as you pursue the Lord. May the Lord bless you and may the Lord keep you and may you have a lovely year ahead and may God be with you. Amen. Amen.